0: He looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He asked them, "But who do you say that I am?" Peter answered him, "You are the Christ." And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. You survived the the wind storm. The wind maybe blew you in, but didn't blow you over. So that's good. Uh, We are open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. All right. Mark chapter 8 as we continue our our series preaching through the book of Mark. And this morning is a special morning because we get to welcome in our preschoolers with us this morning. And so preschoolers, we are excited to have you all in here with us. Um, We currently, we do have a a few, we're a few volunteers short with our kids ministry because we want want to stick to a commitment to our kids volunteers to not have them serve with our kids more than once a month. And so because of that, because of being a little short, we at times are going to cancel the preschool class and have them in here with us, um, and so if that 's a way that you would want to serve our church to be serve our kids and teach our kids in our kids' ministry, uh, please talk to to Carly about that uh, but but listen, we would much rather have the preschoolers be in here uh, than number one, uh, burn out our volunteers from always sending them back there to, to teach and be with our kids or we would rather have them in here than, than putting people back there that really don't want to be back there, okay? Uh, we want you to be able to serve this church, and there's a lot of ways to serve this church, but we want you to be able to serve with joy, and so we do not want to uh, ever guilt trip you or any or, or force anyone to go serve with our kids' ministry. We do not want that at all. But listen up, preschoolers, we are glad that you guys are in here, and listen, it is your job to make sure that your parents stay awake, and stay engaged in the sermon. OK? So that is your guys's job uh, this morning. Now to start out this sermon, I am going to ask you guys to do a little experiment with me. OK? I want everyone to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. You can trust me. Nothing weird's going to happen, OK? Just close, close your eyes. <clears throat> now with your eyes closed, what do you see? Now imagine keeping your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed for right now. But imagine leaving here and having to go and figure out a way to get home. Imagine figuring out getting something to eat. Imagine with your eyes closed having to go run errands and do some of the just the daily routines of life that you do each and every day. Imagine going to school or going to work. Imagine having to do all of that without any sight, without being able to see anything. Okay, now open up your eyes. If your neighbor still has your eyes closed, give him an elbow, okay? Open up your eyes. Like, what a blessing sight is, right? Right? I mean, we take it for granted, but what a blessing. We can't imagine having to live without sight and do some of the things we do. It's something that we take for granted. And even now, as your eyes are open, maybe some of you with contacts, it's still a little blurry. Things are like still kind of coming back into focus. But, but you have, just with that one moment of your eyes being opened, you could all of a sudden see all that was around you. What a blessing sight is. Having eyes that can see is something that we take for granted every day, but it truly, it is a blessing. And listen, church, one of the ultimate problems we have as human beings is that because of sin, we are spiritually blind. We are spiritually blind. Because of our sin, we have not been able to see the glory of Christ. We've not been able to see the truth. And our, our friends, our coworkers, our family, our, our neighbors, all of them are affected by this as well. We, because of sin, have a spiritual blindness. that only Jesus has the power to heal. But what a blessing sight is, and and it is a blessing that none of us can really take credit for. I mean, it is a God-given blessing that maybe some of us have had an optometrist or maybe an eye surgeon who's helped to correct or improve our vision. But the ultimate gift of sight, both physical and spiritual sight, is ultimately from the Lord. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus first give the gift of physical sight to a blind man. And then we're going to see how spiritual sight is starting to come to the disciples, and they're starting to see Jesus a little more clearer for who he truly is. And all along the way through this sermon, we are going to praise God for this gradual blessing of sight that he gives. So join me in prayer, and we'll jump jump into the text. Father, we do... Thank you for the gift of sight. We thank you, Lord, that, that yes, once we were blind, but now we see. And I ask that as your word goes forth this morning, that we would be refreshed, that we would be comforted, that we would be blessed by your truth, that your truth would, would build up this, this family of believers. But God, I ask that our minds would be free from distractions and that you would flood our hearts with a peace that is beyond all understanding. I ask that you would flood our hearts with a fresh joy in you. And God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see your glory this morning a little more clear. We thank you, Jesus, for the work that you've done on our behalf, that you now mediate and intercede for us, that we might approach you in prayer and in song, and Lord, help us receive your word, and may it bear fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 8, verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now, I'll I'll recap for you in Mark here real quick, okay? We saw Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. We then saw him feed the 4,000 with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. And then he gets into the boat with his disciples, and the disciples start worrying that they don't have enough bread. It's sort of humorous, but it's a little sad as well. Jesus then says in verse 18, he says, Having eyes do you not yet see? Having ears, do you not yet hear? And in verse 21, he says, do you not yet understand? Because they have seen with their own eyes these miracles and these healings and all these things that Jesus has been doing, but they don't yet really see him for who he truly is. They don't really get it yet. There is a spiritual blindness, and their eyes have not yet been opened to who Jesus really is. They then get out of the boat and they arrive at Bethsaida, which is a place where Jesus had already performed many miracles. He'd healed many people. People knew about this. And so they bring to him a man who is blind and they beg him to touch him. Remember, Jesus often heals through touch. The, the religious leaders of that day, they were afraid to touch the sick or the unclean because they were afraid that the uncleanness would spread to their cleanness. But we've seen over and over again how Jesus demonstrates the, how just contagious his holiness is, and that, and that when a holy God comes into contact with something that is unclean or sick, the unclean does not spread to the clean, but the cleanness, the purity, the holiness of God makes the unclean person clean. We've seen this over and over again when jesus touches and he heals so when jesus touches the sick this does not contaminate jesus no jesus is god in the flesh he's the creator of life his goodness his purity overtakes and overturns sin and its effects of disease and death verse verse 23 and he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village what a, what a loving and gracious thing to do with someone who cannot see. He took him by the hand and he led him to where he was going to heal him. Jesus did not have him try to get there on his own. He lovingly and graciously took him by the hand and, and led him to where he was going to be healed. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Now, we don't know exactly why Jesus used spit. Uh, This was the same thing that he did when he healed the man who was deaf and the man that that was mute. And there's some thought that in that time and culture, many of the healers, they used spit as well. And so something Jesus used spit to kind of reassure this man, give him some confidence and, and make it relevant to him that he was about to heal him. Another thought on why Jesus uses his spit is because, in a way, it was symbolizing an anointing. An anointing. In the Old Testament, people would be anointed with oil to signify God's blessing or call on a person's life. So in in the Old Testament, people would be anointed for a special purpose. They were being set apart for something for God, whether it was to be a king or to be a prophet. Now, anointing is kind of interesting. Anointing with oil, it likely started with shepherds and their sheep. Because you see, lice and insects would burrow into the sheep's wool. And if it got up near the sheep's head, it could become dangerous to the sheep because it would burrow in the ears and eventually the brain and it would kill the sheep. And so what shepherds do in order to protect their sheep is they would anoint the the sheep's head with oil. And so the lice and the insects, as they would get up to the head, they would slide off. And so that's likely how anointing with oil became this symbol of blessing and protection and being set apart and being empowered. And so there's some that think that Jesus used his spit to signify that he was anointing this man's eyes, that the effects of sin, that the burrowing of of lice and insects, so to speak, uh, were going to be reversed and healed by Jesus. He touches him and he asks Do you see anything? Do you see anything? Mark 8, verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, this is the only healing recorded that takes place in two parts. Okay, it's a two-part healing. People are typically instantly healed by Jesus, right? I mean, in the past, we've seen lepers instantly cleansed. We've seen paralytics instantly regain their movement back. We've seen uh, bleeding immediately stop. We've seen hearing immediately restored. But here we see a two-part healing. We We see a healing that was gradual and not immediate. Like, what is going on here. Jesus touches him once, and some sight returns, but he's not seeing everything clearly yet, and then he touches him again, and then he can see things clearly. I mean, what what happened here? Did, Did Jesus try like once and fail? What was the first attempt not powerful enough? I mean, maybe we should just cut Jesus a little bit of slack. He's been batting a 1,000 as far as the healings go, right? I mean, maybe this was just his first attempt. It wasn't enough. Is that what is happening? Why, why heal in two stages like this? Or maybe Jesus is just going kind of all optometrist on him, right? Like, better this way or this way? One or two? A or B. I mean, I don't know about you guys. But as a person who can at times uh, struggle with indecisiveness and making quick decisions, the eye exam is a very stressful endeavor for me. It really is. I mean, I'm like sweating, you know, I'm like, I have to psych myself up. Like I'm going to make a quick decision, one or two. Most eye doctors do not enjoy me because I I have to see both, you know, multiple times uh, to finally make a decision. It's good. It's good leadership training for me though, to, to make decisions quickly and decisively. But, but listen, is, is this what tap, is this what hap, is happening? Why why heal like this? This is so strange and unique in the healings that we've seen Jesus do, do so far. Like why why did the man not go from blindness to perfect vision? Why did he go from blindness to partial unclear sight to full perfect sight? Why the stages? The text does not really explicitly say. And that can sometimes be frustrating. But I do think we get some more insight into it in the next few verses. So stick with me. I do have an answer for you, okay? Verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah, and others one of the prophets. So there were some different views about who people believed Jesus was. Some had bought into the idea that King Herod believed that he he believed Jesus was John the Baptist risen risen back from the dead. Herod had a little bit of a guilty conscience from that whole beheading John the Baptist thing. He was convinced that this guy was John the Baptist that had come back from the dead, and others believed this as well. Some thought Jesus was Elijah. There was prophecy in the Old Testament in Malachi that Elijah would be the forerunner before the day of the Lord, and so some thought this must be Elijah. Others thought he was another one of the prophets, and there were some mixed ideas and thoughts about who Jesus was. And the same is very true today. Buddhists believed that he was a wise and enlightened man who was a good teacher, Muslims believe that he was a prophet sent by God, but was superseded by Muhammad. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he is the archangel Michael, a created being. Mormons believe that he is a man who became God. Unitarians believe that he is merely the incarnation of God's love, but he was ultimately just a man. The New Age movement believes that Jesus was an enlightened teacher who realized he was God, just like we all can realize we are God. Some think he was a great teacher. Some think he was a great example. Some think he was a prophet. But here's the question. Here's the question. Here's the ultimate question that Jesus had for his disciples. And the ultimate question I would pose to you this morning. It comes in verse 29. Mark 8 verse 29. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? But who do you Say that I am. And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Now, this is a monumental verse in Mark's gospel because this is the first declaration by a human being that Jesus is the Christ. And you remember what we say when we say he's the Christ. Christ was not his last name, but the word Christ, it means the anointed one. It's it's the same New Testament word that the Old Testament uses for Messiah, okay? The people of God had been waiting and longing for a coming king, a rescuer, who would deliver them from their enemies and set up a kingdom that would never end. I mean, the people of God, ever since Genesis 3, when God promised that there would be one who would come, who would crush the serpent's head, they had been waiting and longing for the Christ, the rescuer. They had been waiting for a king who would make all things right. Waiting for a king who would make all things right. Now listen up, everybody. This is a big big moment in the sermon, okay? So kids... Men, women, if I've lost you, come back to me, okay? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? This is ultimately the question we must all address. Do you believe that he is God in the flesh, the king who is making all things right? It's, it's fine to know what your church believes about Jesus. It's fine to know what your pastors believe about Jesus. It's fine to know what your parents believe about Jesus. But the question to ask, to diagnose if you are spiritually blind or whether or not you can see, the question is, who do you say that Jesus is? And those who have eyes that are starting to see, whose blindness is being gradually healed. We see Jesus and we say, he is the Christ. And here Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. In Matthew's account, in Matthew 16, 16, it says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see here, Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, but he also is recognizing his deity, that he is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who has eternally existed. And so Peter's declaration is that God in the flesh is the king we've been waiting for who will make all things right. And Matthew's account Jesus responds in Matthew 16, 17, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Sunday school did not reveal this to you. Church did not reveal this to you. Your parents did not reveal this to you. A friend did not reveal this to you school did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Do you see what is happening here? Last week they were in the boat and they had no idea how they were going to get bread. And Jesus calls them out on their spiritual blindness Like, you guys aren't getting this. You aren't seeing who I am. Then Jesus heals a man gradually, not instantly, even though he could have healed him instantly. He heals him gradually. And now the disciples, their spiritual blindness is starting to fade, and they can see that Jesus is the Christ. But their vision of Jesus still isn't all the way clear. This is why in Mark 8 Verse 30, the last verse in our passage, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Because you see, although their eyes are starting to be opened, it's still not clear to them who he truly is and what kind of Messiah he's going to be. It's still blurry. It's like the blind man who saw men who look like trees, like vision is there, but it's all not in focus because in our next passage in Mark, we're going to see that they really struggle to understand that, that they know he's the Messiah, but they're going to struggle to understand that he's going to have to be a suffering Messiah. They're not going to be able to understand and see that they're not going to be able to understand and see that the deliverance they've been waiting for. It's going to come through his death and resurrection. They still don't have eyes to fully see. It's not going to be clear until his death and resurrection. But this declaration that Jesus is the Christ, it is evidence that God is giving them eyes to see. Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Psalm 146, verse 8, it says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And so, could it be that this two step healing process of the blind man, could it be that he was showing the disciples how their spiritual blindness was being healed? And could it be that this is also how the gift of sight is coming to us as well? Church, when you first believed that Jesus was the Christ, when you first trusted him as your Savior, you had been given enough sight to see and believe that and praise God for that. He gave you eyes to see that. But isn't it true that now as you have grown in grace, as you've learned more of his word, as you've spent more time in prayer, as you've fellowshiped with more believers, isn't it true that now you are seeing him more and more clear? You're beholding more and more of his glory. And every week as we gather on a Sunday morning, It is our desire for us all to behold him more and more, to behold more of his glory, to see more of him as he truly is, that we might taste and experience a little bit more of his goodness and his glory. And yet we know that it won't be until his second return or until our physical bodies experience death that we will finally see him fully and clearly when our faith will be made sight. Yes, God has revealed himself to us here and now through his creation, through Jesus, through his word. He's given us glimpses of his goodness. But listen, church, we are just scraping the surface of his goodness. We're just scraping the surface of how glorious he really is. Now listen, the word of God, it is sufficient, okay? It is sufficient for all we need to know for life and salvation, but it is not an exhaustive record of everything there is to know about the Lord. We're only beginning to see his glory. In 1999, there was an article written about a man named Michael May. He was a 45-year-old man. He had been blind since the age of three. So most of his life, he lived blind. He was 45, and in 1999, there was a revolutionary transplant surgery that offered him hope to regain his sight. Before Michael got this surgery, there was about 40 other cases that had had successful operations and successful surgeries, but they all sort of followed this similar pattern. They would get the surgery... And immediately they would experience this euphoria as light rushed into their repaired eyes for the first time. And they would see colors and motions and they would be so excited and all this pleasure was, was hitting them. It was a miraculous thing. But then what they started to see with these 40 people that went before Michael was that they started to get frustrated. Because learning how to live with sight can be very difficult and frustrating for people. It takes time for the eye and the brain to kind of work together. And so they struggled figuring out kind of depth perception. They struggled really, you know, knowing three-dimensional objects and heights and depth and all those things. They struggled knowing how to read people's facial expressions. I mean, can you imagine? You've never seen grown up with knowing how to read facial expressions. You don't understand that when someone's making a sarcastic look or something like that, right? And so what they found was that the patients and the patient family members, they were all getting discouraged by what this seemed to be like a slow transformation. But Michael was different, not because of the outcome or because of the process, but because of the of his outlook outlook that he had. He, just like all the others, immediately when he had the surgery, it was boom, it was exciting. All this light, all this pleasure, a euphoric kind of feeling of just witnessing light and color for the very first time. But then he was different from the others because he did not get frustrated by the slow process of transformation. Instead of being frustrated and discouraged, he then approached this new world with kind of an excitement and a childlike wonder. Because he knew that in order to truly see again, it would not just be one magical operation, but it was going to be a lifelong process to learn and to grow and to change and to to understand how to live with this new sight. And so he left the hospital full of questions for his wife. I mean, you can imagine, right? He leaves the hospital. What's this? What's that? Is that a step? Is that a flower? Is that a painting? Is that a car? Can I touch that? Right? I mean, just all these questions for the first time. He was excited to discover all that the world would have to offer him. He would ride elevators and hotels up and down just for the sake of being able to find the hotel lobby, something that he had struggled many times to do when he was blind, He played catch with his son, and at first he was horrible at it. Couldn't catch, couldn't throw, the depth perception was all off, but he loved, he loved failing at playing catch with his son. Now, previous patients had felt discouraged, they'd felt frustrated, they'd been depressed by this long, slow transformation to this new reality of living with sight. But Michael told himself that this was part of the adventure, and as a result, every day, even when failure seemed even when the failures seemed to add up, he saw them as new opportunities for him to learn and to grow. So listen, church, I, I think too often, we as followers of Christ, as Christians, we get frustrated and discouraged in life. Because we think that when we started trusting Christ that everything was going to just make sense to us right away, right? I mean, when we came to Christ, it was like our eyes were open for the first time. We had this excitement, all this pleasure and light for the first time coming into our life. But then we grow frustrated and discouraged as we now are learning through this process how to live with this sight. We expected that all of a sudden we would see the world and our lives and it would be clear to us how God is working and why he would allow certain things to happen the way he does. But church, the blessing of sight, to have eyes that can spiritually see, it is a gradual gift that God gives to us. It is a lifelong process of transformation. I mean, if if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, praise God, that is evidence that he has given you eyes to see. But learning how to live with this sight is a lifelong process. Now, don't get me wrong. When Jesus gives you sight, there are some things that immediately happen, okay? When you trust Christ, you are immediately justified, declared right before God. You have instantly moved from enemy of God to child of God. You have been declared positionally that you are now right with God. That happens instantly. But the blessing of spiritual eyes to see is a gradual blessing That God gives to us. It will be a lifelong process and a lifelong adventure of following after Jesus and learning how to live with sight. So Christian, ask questions. Ask questions like Michael did when he left the hospital. Have a childlike wonder about the world uh, that God has created. Don't be frustrated that you have questions. I I feel like as Christians, a lot of times we can feel bad or guilty or frustrated that we have all these questions Like that makes us a bad Christian. Not at all. We are learning how to live with sight. We should ask questions. What's this? What's that? Why does God work that way? What does this verse mean? Why do I feel this way? What is God doing? How does this fit into his plan? Those are all questions questions that we should be asking as Christians as we are learning how to live with this sight that God has given. We have a lifetime. We should have a lifetime of questions for God as we're learning how to live with this new sight, as we live with this awe and wonder of our great God. I hope that when you come in here and we preach about the Lord, that the preaching would stir in your heart some awe and wonder for the greatness and the vastness of our good God. Don't be frustrated by the fact that you have questions. You are learning how to live with sight. And then church, don't be discouraged by your failures. In Matthew's account, okay, Jesus says, Simon, blessed are you that that, that the Father has revealed this to you. He then goes on to say, you know, I'm going to call you Peter, the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. I mean, things are going really well for Simon Peter, right? I mean, Jesus just said, on this rock I'm going to build my church. A few verses later... Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, right? Kind of a roller coaster for Peter that he's on in chapter eight, right? Or in in, uh, Matthew 16, excuse me. A kind of a roller coaster. So Christian, when you follow after Jesus, your Christian walk, you will trip and fall. You will at times face plant. You will at times run off course you at times will horribly miss the mark of following after Jesus. But if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that he is the king that is making all things right, then confess of your sin, repent and turn from it, receive his forgiveness, and then keep following after him. Somehow, even in our failures, and even in our pain, it's as if God is like an optometrist adjusting our lenses and helping us see him a little bit more clearer. So take heart, church, in your frustrations and in your failures. You are learning how to live with sight. And as the band comes back up, and I close out this sermon. let me ask you these questions. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is your Christ? Who is your king that is going to make all things right? Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three through six. for God, who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you are struggling with whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you are struggling with whether or not you believe that He is God and He is your Savior, let me encourage you today, to cry out to God, even in the quietness of your own heart, cry out to God, seek the Lord. Ask that he would give you eyes to see him for who he truly is. Ask him to give you eyes that can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to then stay after and either have myself or dad or another brother or sister pray for you and pray with you. And take heart and know and trust that those who seek him will find him. Don't leave today without answering that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Many of you, however, have already believed that Jesus is your king. That he is your savior. That he is the one that is going to make all things right. But maybe you, you are concerned by all the questions that you still have. You're frustrated by them. Maybe you're even discouraged by all your failures as, as you followed after Jesus. And that you're frustrated with all the problems and the pain. And you don't understand why God would allow this in his world. But my prayer is that the Spirit would stir up in your heart gratitude this morning. Because if you have eyes to see that Jesus is the Christ, you have been blessed by God. Thanks be to God that he has given you eyes to see him for who he truly is. Jesus said to Peter, remember in Matthew 16, 17, he said, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven church, I'm not sure that the blind man, after Jesus healed him from his blindness, I'm not sure he could have really gone off and complained to God that he lost his job. I'm not really sure he could have gone off and complained to God that a loved one got sick or that the rest of his life didn't go the way he thought it should. No, he had been blessed with sight. Even if God had given no other blessing to him the rest of his life, the gift of sight would have been enough to keep his heart overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving all the days of his life. How much more should we, who have been blessed with spiritual sight, eyes to see who Jesus is, how much more should we have hearts that overflow with thanksgiving and gratitude? And C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, as they're making their way towards the end of the world, towards Aslan's country, they notice that the ocean, the ocean water has turned from salty to sweet. They've noticed the waves crashing on them are now sweet, life-giving water. And so they start drinking this water. They start drinking it, and they're finding that this life-giving water, it's giving them strength. And before they had started to drink the water, they had noticed that the sun was getting so much bigger and so much brighter and it was almost too much light. There was almost too much glory. It was painful to them. They couldn't stand to look at it. But as they started drinking this sweet life-giving water, the sun did not get dimmer, but their eyes got stronger. They were able to see and behold the light. And Lewis writes, Now the light grew no less. If anything, it increased, but they could bear it. They could look straight up at the sun without blinking. They could see more light than they had ever seen before. And the deck and the sail and their own faces and bodies became brighter and brighter. Church, I'm closing with this. I know know the process of transformation that, that we call sanctification, right? It can be frustrating. It can be discouraging. It can sometimes seem slow. But I'm not sure we could handle seeing all of the glory of God instantly. Just like we can't handle looking straight up at the sun or someone who's coming out of a cave needs time for their eyes to adjust to the light. But God is so good to us that not only does he give us eyes that can see, but he is gradually getting our eyes prepared to dwell with him in glory. We are going to live in absolute light. So the church, this gathering of Christians, we are not a group of people who have everything figured out. We are not a group of people that has a perfect answer to every single question. No, we are a group of people who have seen the glory of Jesus, who believe that He is the Christ, and who are learning together how to live as ones with sight. Until one day where we will dwell with Him in glory. Our spiritual eyes are being prepared. To behold the glory of the Lord. Praise be to God for the gradual blessing of sight. Let's pray.